0: glad that you guys are here. Uh, today we're wrapping up a series that we've called Insomnia. We're just talking about the things that keep us uh, awake at night, and and, and it kind of piggybacks off of what we just prayed for uh, with this thing with comparison. Now, how many of you guys have seen the greatest movie of all time, uh, Count of Monte Cristo? Raise your hand if you've seen the best movie ever, The Count of Monte Cristo, with Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Jesus in Mel Gibson's Jesus, right? Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, that guy? All right. Count of Monte Cristo is phenomenal. By the way, side note, it was written by Alexander Dumas, who's the, also the guy who wrote uh, Three Musketeers and Man in the Iron Mask. What you might not know is that his dad uh, was Haitian and his mom was French, uh, so he was mixed race. You may, may not know that his dad uh, was a, a sea captain uh, in Haiti. Uh, is in, in Haiti, and uh, when when Napoleon was recruiting people to help him conquer Europe, um, the, 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 the Haitian sea captain ended up becoming one of his one of his main generals. Uh, and I think he died somewhere in the Italian uh, the Italian Alps or something like that. Like I, I think that's where he ended up dying. Uh, but anyway, it was his son who wrote *Count of Monte Cristo* and those other books. And the the book *Count of Monte Cristo* is actually loosely based off of his father. So I know that we have a lot. Of people from Haiti who are at Grace Church, and you you may or may not know that the Count of Monte Cristo is actually loosely based off of a Haitian dude. Anyway, uh, uh, in the movie, Jim, Jim Caviezel plays that guy uh, for whatever reason. Anyway, uh, but the, the main characters in in Count of Monte Cristo is Ale- uh, excuse me, Edmond Dantès. Edmond Dantès becomes the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, and then uh, the the protagonist or the antagonist, he's the protagonist. The antagonist uh, is his best friend uh, Fernand. Mondego, um, and then there's the love interest who's like, there's like this weird like love triangle, like they're, they're both really angsty, vying for the attention and love of the same girl, and her name is Mercedes. All three of them, Edmond, Fernand, and Mercedes, all grow up together, uh, but Mercedes has always loved Edmond. Uh, Fernand has always loved Mercedes, and and uh, Edmond has always been focused on getting his family out of poverty. He comes from a, uh, the poor working class uh, in in France, and and so he takes he takes uh, entry level jobs and works his way up. and There's a scene in the movie where. Um, they had, uh, the, the, the the sea cat, the captain of the ship that he was, uh, an assistant on, whatever, I don't know, assistant captain, vice captain, like, I don't know what that guy's job is, but when the, the captain gets sick, uh, Edmund has to take over and does a fantastic job, he gets a promotion, and even though he's not in the aristocracy, he becomes a captain, so he gets elevated in rank, and he's incredibly excited about this, and when he... Comes back into port. He, he, he celebrates with Fernand and with Mercedes. Um, and, and Fernand uh, is, is upset. Now, he's part of the aristocracy. He's never had to work a day in his life. And truthfully, becoming a captain would be a gigantic step down from his position in his culture. Uh, but but, but he's, he's a miserable, miserable person. And Mercedes has this line uh, toward the very beginning of the movie before the idea of the Count of Monte Cristo is even introduced into the story. Um, and she, she confronts him about this. And here's what she says. She says, uh, Mercedes says, you've always been jealous of Edmond. And he says, me? Jealous of him? Right? Because he's, he's up here. Fernand is up here. And then Edmond is down here. And she keeps talking. She says, remember when you got a pony for Christmas? and he got a whistle you couldn't enjoy your pony because you were so upset that he loved his whistle more right like if you've seen the movie you're familiar with that story and and that's that's it he's always been been jealous so he has everything uh but it's still it's still not not enough uh and then he ends up Listen, it's an old story. It's an old movie. If you haven't seen it now, don't get mad that I'm about to give you a spoiler. But he thinks that even if he gets Mercedes, that that would make his life complete. And then he ends up getting Mercedes, and it doesn't do for him what he thought it was going to do. And it's crazy how difficult it is not just for him but for all of us honestly to be happy with what we have and and with what we we've, we've got there's a scene in the in the greatest tv show ever the office anyone the office anyone a few people all right uh, I talked to a guy, he said, I watched the, if you've only watched the first season and you stopped, you you just, like, that's like getting all the way through, like, the national anthem but missing kickoff, right? Like, you've, like, you got to stay until after kickoff. You've got to get into that second season. I've only met one person who's watched more than the first season and didn't like it. And he watched three seasons and he never finished. I was like, how is that even possible, right? That's like being, doesn't matter. Anyway, um, it's the greatest show ever. I'm way off track. The very last episode, there's nine nine seasons, the last episode, the character named Andy, who uh, everybody in my family, uh, we hate him more than everybody. Like, I even like Robert California more than Andy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I'm really sorry for you. I pity you because it's the greatest show ever. Uh, In the ninth season, uh, the very last episode, uh, Andy looks right at the camera and he says this, because now he's got his dream job back at Cornell University. He's going to be in charge of recruiting or something like that. That's his alma mater. Uh, But he says this. He says, I wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old old days before you've actually left them. Isn't that a good line? I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you've already left them. And so today we're wrapping up this series talking about the way that our discontent, like... Weighs so heavy in the back of back of our mind and it seems that we're never really settled wherever we're at right now if you're a little kid. I remember the very first time. Wishing that I was at a different place in life. Believe it or not, I was in kindergarten. I was being dropped off uh, for the greatest year of my school ever. It was the easiest year ever. It was so stressful having to color pumpkins. That was so, t- right? Like, can you remember when like, that was your biggest problem? Like, like not finishing your coloring page? Um, but I'm, I'm in kindergarten. Mrs. Dreiger was my school teacher. And I remember lining up uh, outside the school. And for whatever reason, we were lined up next to third graders. And all of these third graders were just huge. They were so big. And I remember thinking as a kindergartner, I can't wait until I'm big like third grade. Anybody else have a memory like that? Like, do you remember like being a little kid? Maybe you had an older brother or sister, and you said, like, I can't wait till I'm as big as them. And then you got to as big as them, but then they were bigger. So then you're like, I still can't wait till I'm as big as they are. Like, that never stops. Then you're in third grade, and you can't wait till you're a fifth grader. Then you're a fifth grader and you can't wait till you're in middle school. Then you're in middle school and you can't wait until you're in high school. When you're in high school, you can't wait to what? To graduate, right? Can't wait to get your first car. You can't wait to to get to college. You can't wait to start your f- first full time job. You can't wait to 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 like like fall in love. You can't wait to get married. Some of you guys are married. I can't wait till this marriage is over. Like I don't know. where. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's totally true for some people, right? Like it's. Like, we're never happy. Like, we never go, this is amazing. Nobody ever, like, and if, even if you get to a spot where you say, this is amazing, like when you do buy your first house and you're in it for a year or two, it's like, this is amazing, I'm a homeowner. But now you've owned it for two years and you're like, crap, I hate this house. Right? I wish I had a bigger yard. I wish I had a garage. I wish I had a two car garage. Right? I wish I had. I wish I had. I, we spend our entire life saying, I wish I had. And then we go, I wish I had kids, and you have kids. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to be honest. Listen, for real, I've got three kids. They're all amazing. Absolutely love them to death. My biggest regret in life is that we didn't have more kids. Dang it. I was put on this earth to be a daddy. I freaking, like, I love daddying. I can daddy the heck out of daddying, right? Like, i I just wish they're like, oh my word, being a dad is, is, an amazing, is an amazing thing. But then when you are, you're like, I can't, like, but then they're, they're just a blob of, of poop, is all they are. When they first come out, they, they just poop and they spit up. That's all they do. And you're like, I, I can't wait until they actually keep their food down. And then, then, then it's like, I can't wait till they can crawl. I can't wait till, they're, till, they can, till they can walk. I can't wait till they can talk. I can't wait till they're out of diapers. And then they get out of diapers, they can walk and crawl, and they're driving you crazy. You're like, I can't wait till they start school. Right? Hello, mamas. (laughs) I can't wait till I can drink my coffee in peace. Um, I can't wait until they can dress themselves. Uh, I can't wait until they can walk to school. I can't wait until they get their driver's license and they can drive themselves to work. I can't wait. I can't, right? I can't wait until... Now now I'm at this stage where I can't wait to have grandkids. I can't wait to have grandkids. and then, But truthfully, my youngest one uh, is a senior. And it dawned on me uh, when I got his senior pictures back that I've only got like seven more months. And then he's gone. Right? And so now I feel like Andy Bernard. I, I, wish, I wish there was some way to know that all of those years were the good old days before I'm already leaving them. And I don't know, we we can't ever, like go back to when you were in high school and tell yourself in high school how much you're making now. And in high school you'd go, what, living large, or something like that, right? Wow, that's all, like that's a lot of money. But then you make that money and then it's what? Not enough. How many of us would be okay with $10,000 more? A year, my had it. it was not like if the like right. Like the trustees said, Sean, we want to give you a ten thousand dollar raise. I would go, no, I have enough. Right, like I would I would, t- I, would t- I would I would take if, if my mom and dad had anything to pass on to me, I would take that inheritance too. Right, like I like if you want to give away something, I'll take it. Right, and if I don't want it it's going straight on ebay or like or, or, or uh, uh uh craig like right i could turn that into cash like like we always like we're never we're never just okay with not i don't want to say we like this isn't 100% true some of you guys are in this healthy spot but for a lot of us like like Delcy had said a minute ago we're always looking at everything everybody else has that we that we don't have right Um, And it just never seems possible to just be okay with what I have right now, where I'm at right now, with who I'm with right now. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, actually talked about this, this need for more in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you've got your cell phone, open up your Bible app, and we'll get to it. Solomon's the wisest man uh, who had ever lived at least up until his time, and the richest man who had ever lived at least up until his time. Um, And uh, he gets to the end of his life, and he writes the the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 1, you find out that he writes this for his son. So he's the wisest, wealthiest man who's ever lived. He sits down to write a letter to his son so that his son doesn't make some of the mistakes he makes. Like I, I'd, I want to pass on what I know to give my son a head start. And I think, I think every good dad probably wants the same thing for his kids, is so that they don't make the same, the same mistakes they, they did. Uh, and he starts off in chapter 2, verse 1, and here's what he says to his son. He says, uh, I said to myself, self uh, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. That starts off so good, doesn't it? I said to myself, myself, let's go take care of ourselves. right? Let's hook ourselves up a little bit. And that's what he does. Uh, but I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, right, um, uh, I clutched at foolishness. So I, I I wanted to just check out indulgence, but I wanted to check out indulgence from a studious spot. Like I wanted to examine the path of foolishness just to see what that would give me. Uh, And he said, I clutched at foolishness, and in this way I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. And he starts off, (laughs) and then I experienced the only happiness most people ever get is acting like fools, right? Like that's, like it's, he starts off like so good and then gets dark so quick. Verses 4 through 9, he goes into a shopping list of everything that he thought might make him happy. So he said, so I, I bought a lot of that, and then I bought me some of this, and I did some of that, and then I compiled this, and then I built this, and then I bought that. And it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of things that everybody said, at least in his day, if I had that, I'd be happy. If I had this, I'd be happy. If I had that, I'd be happy. So, like, what's on your list, right? Like, you, you, you have a house, maybe. You have an apartment. And you're like, well, I'd like to have my own house. You're renting. I'd like to buy. If you own a house, you want a vacation house. And if you own a vacation house, you want an investment property, right? And if you want an investment property, you want three investment properties, right? Like you want enough investment properties to replace the income you're making now so that you've got residual. I mean, like wherever you're at, I know that there's one more thing that you really want. Like you have something on your list. We've all got a list. The only thing that's different about our list is what's on there, and what's on there is just the stuff somebody else ahead of me has. That's what's on my list. That's probably what's on your list also. That's verses 4 through 9. In verse 10, he says this. Anything I wanted, I would take. Can you imagine being in that spot? Holy cow. Like there's a Tesla. I'll buy one. Uh, there's a house in Marshfield on the cliff. I'm getting that. Right? Then there's a, uh, there's a cape uh, on the cape. On the water. How cool is that? Right? To have a cape on a cape on the ocean. I'll get me one of them, right? Uh, I'll I'll get me a, uh, ooh, the new Hummer just came out, right? Give me one of them. Uh, And and, and I think that's even electric, right? So, ooh, wow, even good for the environment. Uh, So I'll buy three of those, right? Can, uh, Can you just imagine anything you wanted? Just getting. That's what he does. Uh, I denied myself no pleasure. Must be nice. Uh, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Okay, I'd still like to find out for myself. (laughs) Anybody else? My dad's favorite movie is uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And it is a it's a long movie, a three and a half hour movie about a Jewish family in in uh, um, um, it's actually outside of Kiev, Ukraine. Now the, the town that it's based on, um, so it's, it's it's Russian Jews that are pushed out by the by the Soviets. And this the dad, his name is Tevya, has has five daughters. It's my dad's favorite movie, uh, and so we watch this Jewish movie every time we celebrate Christmas. Because that's what I think of when I think of Santa. I think of Russian Jews. That's what I do. So. That's our family Christmas tradition. I don't know why. Uh, Dad says he doesn't want us to figure our roots. My, grand, my dad's mom uh, was a Jewish lady from Eastern Europe. So I, I, I get that. It's just a weird holiday to do that tradition is what I'm thinking. Um, but we watch, we, watch, we watch Fiddler on the Roof every year. Uh, my favorite scene in Fiddler on the Roof is, is when Tevya, who's of the working class uh, in, in Russia, is, is struggling to make ends meet. And he's got five daughters. And he keeps saying, I'm blessed with five. And he doesn't do air quotes in the movie, but if they had air quotes when they filmed the movie, he would have been doing air quotes every time he says, "I'm blessed with five daughters," because none of these daughters are bringing income into the family is the reason why he's struggling and he's and he's impoverished. And so he quotes actually from the book of Ecclesiastes because there's another verse that talks about with with great wealth increase great wealth increases sorrow. Uh, it also increases headaches. Like there's with more responsibilities comes more more worry is all Solomon uh, was, was talking about in, in that verse. And so he, he quotes the verse that says that. Uh, and then where Solomon says that he almost feels like wealth is a curse. And then, um, and then Tevye looks up at God and he says, If being rich is a curse, may you strike me with it and may I never recover. Right? <laughs> like, that's the way I feel like, if Solomon could deny himself no pleasure, get everything he wanted, and it's all meaningless, I want to go, I'd, I'd like to try that for myself just to make sure is how I'm, I'm thinking about it. Uh, but, but Tom Brady uh, had like a little Solomon moment. Uh, when he was 27, so this has been like, what, 30 years ago? Uh, when he was 27... Um, Tom Brady had won three Super Bowls, and he's being interviewed by 60 Minutes. And you can find this on YouTube by just searching Tom Brady's 60-minute interview. And you'll pull up the whole thing, and you can see exactly uh, what, I'm, what I'm going to quote from you. And I was going to include the video clip. It was just too long. I just wanted one section. Um, but he's being interviewed by the guy Croft, whatever. I forget his first name. But anyway, Tom Brady. And then anybody knows this guy's first name? Because... Apparently, we're all fans of that show. Um, Croft is his name. But Brady is asked a question, and then here's how Brady responds. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there? This, his response <laughs> throws off the interviewer so much because Brady has everything that the interviewer thinks he needs to be happy at such a young age. So he's thinking he's going to get this. It's wonderful. My life is amazing. Right? Because that's what Croft is thinking. And then when Brady goes... I there's got to be more than this. Croft just looks at him and goes, "So, like he's not even looking at his notes now. He just goes, "So, what's the answer?" Like, crap. Like, "Well, what's, what's the answer?" And then Brady answers, I, "I wish I knew. I I wish I knew." He goes on to say that his family and his friends make him happy, but everything that he'd been chasing, he got and like Brady has a Solomon, he has a Solomon moment. And here's the thing there's nothing wrong with championships, and there's nothing wrong. With, with getting an extra house. There's nothing wrong with moving to your dream city. There's nothing wrong with getting the perfect degree. There's nothing wrong with getting the perfect job. There's nothing wrong with starting an amazing company. There's nothing wrong with expanding your company. There's nothing wrong with having a real estate portfolio. There's nothing wrong with making wealth. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of these things unless those are the things that you think you need to have in order to be happy with who you are. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it's unhealthy. Discontentment in one area of our life seems to spread into every other area of my life. There was a period in our our marriage where I was completely unhappy with my job and I was miserable. And after about three years, Billy Jane said to me, She said, working here is changing you, and it's not for the better. Now, everything else in my life was fine. My marriage was good. My kids were good. Like, it was great. But I was unhappy in one area of my life, and it was negatively impacting every other area of your life. I would imagine that you've got your own examples where your inability to be content in one area of your life is ruining and contaminating the rest. It's like a toothache. Like it's one little part of me that's in pain, but the pain in this area is affecting the way I do everything else with the rest of my body and for the rest of this, of this day. Solomon wraps it up when he says this in chapter 2, verse 18. So it's still in the same chapter, and he's just carrying the thought out. And here's what he says. I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish. Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in what? Despair. The never-ending pursuit of something different is going to guarantee you stay this unhappy the rest of your life. If you need something different, if you have to have someone different, if you have to be in a different circumstance, if you're single but you have to be married, if you're married but you have to have a kid, if you have an apartment but you have to have a house, like if it, if you have to have something else or if you have to be somewhere else. Before you can be okay with who you are and what you've got, you're never going to be okay with who you are and what you've got. So what's the solution? And I think we find the solution in this little sermon that John the Baptist preaches in the New Testament, the Christian New Testament. John the Baptist is the guy who uh, called all of Israel who at this point in time had pretty much made their religion about a whole checklist of stuff they had to do. So even even uh, a purification was about whether or not I could like get every spot of dirt off of my my body or my clothes, but the outside purification was always intended to be a reminder of the need for purification in my heart. But at this time in history, they didn't even care. Like, you could be as corrupt as you wanted to Sunday through Friday as long as you washed all of your clothes and spick and spanned your house on Saturday. And John the Baptist was calling everybody to a baptism of repentance from sin, not just a baptism of of dirt and cleanliness, so it would actually have been mikvah was a Jewish tradition that we still even do now. Uh, we we just the word was dunk, but the Greek word for mikvah right is or Greek word for it is baptizo. The Hebrew word was mikvah. The Greek word is baptizo. That's where we get the word baptized. Not that anybody cares, but that's what makes John the Baptist famous. Uh, He preaches this sermon in Luke chapter 3, and here's what he says. He says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. One of the most uplifting and encouraging sermons i've ever read in the bible their response is well how do i do this how do i how do i demonstrate fruit that i have uh, repented of my sin and turned to god and then john replied if you have two shirts give one to the poor if you have food share it with those who are hungry so John mentions that good fruit was the proof that someone had repented of their sins. They asked how to do it, and John's answer was, change the way you look at what you have and where you're at. Change the way you look at it. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. If, if I only had two shirts, and I have a lot more than two shirts, uh, I have... I should have counted because I, I taught this last night in the Saturday night service and I brought this up too that I didn't know how many shirts. So you would think I would have gone home and counted. Uh, but truthfully I might be embarrassed by that number. Because I have my closet. Billy Jane has a walk-in closet, right? And I've got like a little, like a little thing of a section of hers even of shirts. So I've I have, have short sleeve shirts for summers and I have long sleeve shirt for winters. Obviously, we're in between, so I took a long sleeve and I made it shorter sleeve. Right? <laughs> I might have 40 or 50 shirts. And that's, somebody harumphed at me just now, but I don't, I don't know that I even have the most. I probably have 15 sneakers. And I know for a fact I ain't got the most sneakers because I got YouTube, right? Like I've seen everybody else's sneakers. right? Like I, I got, I've, if I only had two shirts, if I had this shirt and one other shirt, and you needed a shirt, I would not give you my shirt. I wouldn't. And I, I would look at you and I'd go, well, I've only got two. And you would go, oh, yeah, okay, my bad. I, th- I asked the wrong person. Like, you would even feel bad for asking me because I only got two. If, if I had two shirts and you needed a shirt, <laughs> and you're just standing there without a shirt, i will give you a blanket until we find a shirt from somebody else who's got more than two. That's what I would do, Right? That's what I would do. Now, I'll look at my shoes this way. Like, if I only had one pair of shoes, and you'd have any shoes, and I only had two shoes, I could probably give you a shoe. <laughs> a shoe. I need that other one. Right? No, I'd, I'd give you a pair of the shoes probably because I'm more likely to wear the same shoes all the time than I am to wear the same shirt all the time. Right? That's, that's what he's talking about. Um, and that's because I only have, have two. But what John is saying is that if you, if you have two shirts... And if we're going to be honest, you have one more shirt than what you need. You do. Like, there's a reason I don't want to wear the same shirt every day. And it has nothing to do with what I need. It has everything to do with what my coworkers will think about me if I'm wearing the same shirt every day. Like, we all went to a school with a kid in seventh grade who wore the same clothes every single day. And you know how that kid was treated, I was that kid for a while, and dang it, never again, right? I don't want to be that. Like, none of us want to be that. And that's all he's saying. So he, he keeps his sermon going, and he says, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than what the government requires. Some soldiers came. What should we do, asked the soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. If you went up to John the Baptist and you said, what should I do? And John the Baptist was given some type of ability by the Holy Spirit to see what it is you feel you have to have in order to be happy. What would he say you need to let go of? What would he say? Because I guarantee you, he'd say something to you. And that, I think, is what God's trying to tell you today through this teaching. I'm going to wrap it up with one of two thoughts. Here's the first one. Contentment is found, not when we get more, but when we do more with what we already have. That's where contentment is found. (laughs) I said I have two. This is the first of two. That was the second of two. I blew right past the first one. I'll give you the first one. I just scanned my notes. Contentment is the choice to be satisfied. It's a choice. It's not natural to us. We've already gone past that moment. Probably shouldn't have even brought it up. But back to the second of two thoughts. Contentment is found not when we get more, but when we do more with what we already have. Some of you are incredibly miserable because of the stuff you don't have. But if we're going to be completely honest, you right now already have everything you need to be happy. It's just not enough for you. You have love, you have a roof over your head. You have food to eat today. You're not worried about whether or not you will spend the rest of this day without food. And you have clothes on your back because if you didn't, we would have already noticed that you were naked in church. And if you don't have any of those three things, you need to come see me after the service because you will go home with those three things. I promise you, that's what we'll do for you. And truthfully, every person in here has more than 90% of the rest of the entire world. 90% of everybody on this planet would gladly trade places with you. And all you and I want is something else. Something different, a different person to be married to, a different job, a different city, a different, a (laughs) different, I just want to get past November 3rd. That's all I want. Is that too much to ask? I just want to make it past December 3rd, right, without the world burning down. That's election day if you didn't get that, right? Just want to make it past that. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, because the secret to being happy is not something different. It's not. Jesus tells you this in Luke chapter 16. If you can be faithful right now in little things, then you will be faithful in large ones. If you can be content with where you're at, then you'll be content with somewhere else. If you can be okay with what you have, then you'll be okay with having more. But if you can't be content with where you are and what you have, then going somewhere different in your life or getting something more won't make you any more content. Solomon is proof of that. Tom Brady is proof of that everybody who's ahead of you who still wants to be farther ahead is proof of that you are proof of that to your younger self i don't know how much more evidence we need of this it, jesus is just making it clear he says if you are dishonest in little things you'll be honest you'll you'll uh, you won't be honest with greater things so if you're cutting corners now just until you can get ahead listen when you get ahead you're not going to stop cutting corners that's all he's saying And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, then who will trust you with true riches? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Like, if, if you're not okay with what you've got, and your prayer is, God, give me something different. I think God's looking at you going, if you can't be okay with this, why would I give you more to not be okay about? If you're going to be miserable at this point in life, with this much, at this place, why would I give you more, or give you more responsibility, or give you more influence to mismanage? I'll tell you what, kid. <laughs> right? You do good with your learner's permit, and then I'll give you a driver's license. Right? You you, you learn to make a home. Like, you learn... Marrying a dude ain't going to make you happy if you can't be happy in your singleness. Like, they don't complete you. They complicate you. Dang it. (laughs) I know what my brokenness is. And then if I married my wife to complete me, she brings 100% more brokenness into my life. And now I've got 200 brokenness to deal with. Right? And that, like, and if you can't be okay with this spouse, <laughs> dear God, just change my wife. Right? Just give me a different one. Guess who's going to go into that next marriage? The same dude who screwed up this marriage. You bring your baggage with you. I never lear- I used to pray all the time. And, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I used to pray all the time. My poor wife. Dear God, change Billy. My wife's name is Billy. But dear God, change. Uh, I said that on an airplane once. I love you, Billy. Dude next to me was like this. Like, no, he wasn't being judgmental. He said, I didn't know you were gay. And I was like, well, crap, Billy Jane. I had to say Billy Jane. Billie Jane, Billy Jane. Uh, southern chick. So my, my wife's name is Billy. And then um, I used to pray, dear God, change Billy. Change Billy. Change Billy. Help, help her be the wife that I need. Help her because help, I'm, I'm miserable. Like help her to be more this or help her to be more that. I used to pray that all the time. And truthfully, you can talk to her. Uh, She used to pray that for me all the time. So we're both praying. Dear God, the other person needs to be changed. Like, I'm all right. Like, if I wasn't all right, I'd change it. But, like, I'm okay with who I am. right? Like, I'm not the one. And then I realized my problem might not be Billy Jane. My problem is just I'm not okay with Billy Jane. So she could actually stay the way she was if I could change the way that I feel because truthfully, the way that I feel is the problem. So then I began praying. Not necessarily God changed me as much as I would pray. God just helped me to be okay with her being a jerk or whatever I was praying, right? <laughs> I me be okay with her being so selfish. I just need to be okay. So I changed my prayer from God change my circumstances to God change me. And that was the prayer he answered. And now, 29 years later, I am 100% happily married. We still have complications. We still got brokenness. But we are better now at 29 years than we ever have been because both of us learn to pray a different prayer. What I'm asking you to do is pray a different prayer. Dear God, you don't owe me nothing. Like, truthfully, When I recognize the holiness of God and the depravity that is in my heart, I know what I deserve from God. And truthfully, (laughs) I have far more from God than what God has ever owed me. If all he ever did was show up in human history and take on my sins on himself and died on the cross, And I was born in poverty, but the only thing I knew was that Jesus had taken away my sin, that would be still more than I deserve. Some of us, honestly, are acting as though God is still in our debt. Because we've made an idol out of marriage. We've made an idol out of singleness. We've made an idol Out of the right career, we've made an idol. Out of making the right amount of money, we've made an idol. And what we say is, I won't be happy until I have that thing that I worship already. And God says, I am about done with this. I'm going to make sure that no matter which idol you get, you're going to be unhappy until you stop worshiping anything other than me. You need to be okay with where I have you right now before I will ever take you anywhere else. That's what we learn from Scripture, and that's the secret to the problem of discontent. Let's pray. God, I, I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and I take you for granted, and I presume on you and I treat you like a Santa Claus or a genie in a lamp and I'm sorry. I, I have enough right now. If we have a roof over our head, food in our stomach, clothes on our back, truthfully, we, we have everything we need. Help us, God, to be okay with what we have and where we're at It's not that there's anything wrong with having more or being in a different place unless those things are what we need in order to be okay with you and what you're doing in our life. God, I'm sorry for the way that I have put my wife in front of you. I'm sorry for the way I've put relationships, my kids even, my work, what other people in this room think about me ahead of you. God, help me to care only, or most importantly, that that I am faithful in every area of my life and with everything that you've put in my life right now. Because I know for a fact, you will not give me more opportunity. You will not give me more influence. You will not give me more responsibility. You will not give me more finance. I will not get more until I learn to be okay with this. God, you're enough. Let that be our prayer. You're enough. What's the one thing John the Baptist would say that you need to let go of? Tell God, God, I'm putting that in your hand. What is it? I need this. I need this. I need this. Can you say to God, God, I'm okay if I don't. I'm okay with you if I don't. I trust you'll give me what I need when I need it. I trust you. God, let that be the prayer of our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.